Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the FMC Podcast. This is Pastor Kyle. So we are now in week three of four of our sermon series, Sounds of the Season. And so Pastor Josh is going to be continuing things for us today, uh, diving into the invitation. So we already hit anticipation, the incarnation, and now we're diving into the invitation. Uh, Again, really great stuff here from Pastor Josh. But before we dive into the sermon and the word of God that uh, the Lord has placed on his heart, uh, let's hear more from him and uh, learning a little bit more of how he prepped for today's sermon. Let's take a listen. We're just going to dive right into it then. All right, Josh. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you this week leading into this sermon on invitation, right? So this is, we we go through this time of year every single year. Um, and I think uh, one question that could be on people's minds is, you know, uh, how, how do pastors continue to have something to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we go through Advent every single year. Uh, we know that, okay, they're going to be talking about in some shape or form, uh, you know, Jesus coming to this earth, God incarnate, why Jesus needed to come sort of thing. So, yeah, you, you've you been doing this for 15 years now or, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, how, how are you inspired this, this time around when it comes to this Sermon on Invitation, uh, yeah, rather than before? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think two things come to mind just immediately as I hear you ask that question. The first is, I, I love this phrase I heard years ago that uh, the ancient rabbis used to refer to scripture as a gem with 70 faces, and that every time you turn it, the light refracts differently and you see something that you'd missed before. And that scripture is the same kind of way, that every, every time we uh, we study it, every time we, uh, we search it, we see things that we missed. And so uh, the story is... Uh, endlessly new and endlessly deep. And I've experienced that. The second thing I thought of is just, I guess it was two weeks ago, I read something and it was uh, this article encouraging pastors during this time uh, to say, you know, there's a pressure to always try to find something new to say, something different, something novel, something people haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, as if the story itself isn't sufficient. And so we need to find something to add to it. And, and this, this writer was saying, um, just tell the story, man. Yeah. I mean, this is like one of the greatest stories ever told. And what people really need is not to hear your new twist on it. What they need to hear is the good news yeah, um, that true. Jesus comes uh, for us, to be with us, to save us, to give us abundant life, eternal life. Um, and so just like kind of like as a pastor, like that just takes some of the pressure off to feel like, okay, I've got to provide something here. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> what what has been provided in Christ is enough. Yeah. You know, as you said in your sermon last week, Jesus is enough. So uh, when it comes to preaching it, it's like, just tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really cool to, that's really cool to think about. Cause I'm even kind of processing in my own mind right now, as you say that, like, okay, so, you know, while there may be 98% of people that are hearing uh, these messages throughout this sermon series right now that have heard the the, the Christmas story, however you would call it, the, the birth of Jesus before, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, there's, there's 2% that haven't, right? And so these 2% of people that have never heard this before, that are hearing the good news for the first time, I mean, what they learn from this, I mean, that could also help continue to to strengthen and encourage the relationship of those 98% of people mm-hmm. who have heard this before that can continue to strengthen and encourage their relationship with the Lord as well. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's, 
I, I appreciate that. I, I heard the first one before, but the second one that you just mentioned that that's new to me. So how were you, Pastor Josh Meyer, <laughs> pastor of discipling with the preaching portfolio? I, I, I think it's encouraging to know that people people I think it's encouraging for people to hear, you know, hey, the pastor was challenged by this, too. Right. So so how are you challenged by this message this week? Yeah. So I, I'll tell you that when we planned this sermon series months ago and that this topic was invitation. Where I was planning to go with this message was sort of what I ended with it. So listener, you, you're, you're gonna hear this sermon and there's sort of two parts. There's a, a first angle of invitation and there's a second angle. And I was really planning this whole time to make this sermon about an invitation to faith that that ultimately we, you know, the, the Christmas story is good news. We receive an invitation and we have an opportunity to respond to it. And so that was gonna be the whole focus. But a couple of weeks ago, I challenged the congregation to read through the Gospel of Luke this Advent, to read a chapter a day, and to just, as a way of preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I have been really challenged once again to just see how consistently and how in challenging ways Jesus welcomes outsiders. And, you know, it forces me to ask the question, how well am I doing that in my life? Yeah. Like, who are those on the margins yeah. that I am actively acknowledging, seeing, welcoming in, caring for? Uh, and so really the, the whole first half of this sermon then is just a, a, a little mini, I'll stress mini, it could have gone way deeper, but a little mini survey of how Jesus, how God in Christ welcomes those on the margins. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that became sort of a second angle of invitation. and. Yeah, that's that's challenging to think in my own life and and i can point to a few things and there's probably there's probably some more misses than uh than hits that i can point to where where i have have done that and so that's been really challenging but really good to say okay we receive the invitation uh that jesus offers mm -hmm. but that's not where it ends then we 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 don't just want to receive Jesus. We don't just want to celebrate Jesus. We are called to then live like Jesus. Yeah. And so how are we doing that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, uh, that I just mentioned and, and I'll end here and we can dive into your sermon, but, um, I did a chapel for a local high school, uh, our, our local school last week. And, uh, so one of the things I talked about was invitation and I was talking about how, you know, Jesus was calling his first disciples and how, okay, so we see, uh, it goes from, you know, we, we know, the basic uh, premise or the majority of people might know how, okay, Jesus called Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I went into the call where Jesus was calling Levi, who's known as Matthew. Mm -hmm. And like you see what you just said there in the call of Matthew, right? Where Jesus invites Matthew, right? To turn away from his sinful lifestyle as a tax collector, invites Matthew to follow him. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you see Matthew take the next step, right? Matthew receives the invitation from Christ. But then the next step after that, Matthew then brings his friends and his fellow yeah, tax collectors yeah. to dinner with Jesus. He brings people to Jesus. And so I think that's, that's, that's really cool that you just mentioned that. That's what it made me think of. Yeah. Um, yeah so I want to highlight this too, before we jump in, uh, at the end of the sermon, pastor Josh is going 
going to give an invitation. And so I just want to say to the listener that if you are hearing this for the first time and and you are about to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or accept the invitation that, that Pastor Josh gives out to you, um, I just want to encourage you, if you want to talk further about that, please call us here at the church office. You can find our information on the web, franconiamennonite.org. Uh, the church numbers on there, our emails are on there. Please feel free to reach out if you have more questions or you, you just want to know more about what it would look like uh, to, to dive into this faith and what it really means to follow Jesus. We would love to talk further with you about that. So let's dive into Pastor Josh's sermon on invitation. Enjoy. Good morning. We will be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appealed to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory Glory to to God in the highest. And And on on earth, earth, peace peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's Let's go go to Bethlehem Bethlehem and and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they found it, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, thank you, Heather, and especially Claire for that scripture reading. Pastor Mark started a soft little golf clap when she finished, and I said, let's do it, baby. Let's clap for that. Well done. Well done. Yes, so we are in week three of our Advent sermon series called Sounds of the Season, in which we are considering the biblical truth contained in some popular Christmas music. You can see there the themes that we are covering in this series. And you can see this morning, the theme that we're going to be covering is the theme of invitation. Invitation is a really important biblical theme, and we see it really clearly in the Christmas story. So today we're going to be thinking about that theme of invitation through the lens of the Christmas carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. 
And again, I'm not going to sing, but I'll, re- but I'll recite. <laughs> right? God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Inside your bulletin this morning is a newsletter. On the back of that newsletter are the lyrics, the words to this song. If you want to pull that out and follow along for reference, you can feel free. God rest ye merry gentlemen. I was doing some research this week on this song, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and I came across an article in the Atlantic, actually, which was about this song. And here is how this article began. This is from Emma Green is the author. She writes, Amid cups of cocoa and romantic snowfalls and sparkly pine trees, it's easy to forget that Christmas, like Christianity itself, has a bit of a shadow side. The merriment is really existential relief. Humanity will, after all, be saved from evil and from ourselves. In its best renditions, God rest ye merry gentlemen, captures this haunting side of the holiday. The song brings tidings of comfort and joy wrapped in the indispensable reminder that Jesus has come to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. It's a carol about the high spiritual stakes of Christmas. After all, if not for the birth of Jesus, humanity would be lost. I love that phrase, and that's actually the title of the article in The Atlantic, The High Spiritual Stakes of Christmas. Friends, that's why we gather here together this morning. That's why we repent and confess and celebrate and worship together during this time of year. That's that's why we're doing this sermon series, to help us understand the high spiritual stakes of Christmas. We see those high spiritual stakes, obviously, in Scripture itself, and we we also see it in the words to this song, God rest ye merry gentlemen. So here's just kind of a a general overview. Here's the way that the verses of this song unfold. Verse 1 of the carol is an announcement of the good news, right? Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Why? to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Again, we've said this every week and we'll keep saying it. Christmas is not ultimately a season just of holiday nicety and cheer. Christmas is ultimately about the salvation that we need and that God provides. Christmas is about the insistence of an unrelenting God who does not give up, does not let go, does not leave us on our own. And that's really what we've talked about the last two Sundays, right? The first week we talked about how we all have these these deep longings, these existential longings that are only fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Because, as we said last week, Jesus is enough. And so that is the good news of Christmas, the salvation that's available in Christ. Then verses 2 and 3 in the carol, God rest ye merry gentlemen, they show us some of the first recipients of this good news. It says, unto certain shepherds. And then the shepherds in this song kind of become the central characters of that particular hymn. And we'll come back to the shepherds in a moment. It is remarkably significant that the shepherds of all people are some of the first ones to receive this invitation to hear this good news about the birth of Jesus. 
So verse 1, announcement of good news. Verses 2 and 3, recipients of the good news. Then verses 4 and 5 are about the shepherd's response to the good news. So how do they respond? What do they do when they receive this remarkable invitation? Well, if you look at the the lyrics of the song, we, we see that they rejoice, and then they go, and then they find Jesus. Right? It is a response of faith, a response of finding Christ. So that's just kind of big picture how this hymn, how this carol unfolds. And what I love about that is how closely it mirrors the actual biblical story that we find in, in Luke chapter 2. It's exactly what we see there, as Heather and Claire read for us. It says, there were angels. No, there were shepherds uh, living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now what is significant about this, and here we get into our theme of invitation, What is so significant is that these shepherds are some of the first people to receive this good news. The shepherds are the first to hear about the birth of Jesus. And the reason that is so remarkable, the reason it is so shocking, frankly, is because of who shepherds were in that context. Some of you may know this, others of you may not, but at that time, shepherds were not very well thought of, and that's a very very kind way of saying it. Uh, Shepherds were disliked, they were despised, they were distrusted. Shepherds were very much the social outcasts of that time period. One historian puts it like this. He says, shepherds were the despised of society, rejected and without rights, considered unreliable, and unable to give testimony in the court of law. So think about that. Their reputation was so low, they were legally not allowed to be a witness in court because it was generally assumed any shepherd was unreliable and untrustworthy. That's how they were viewed at that time. Not only that, uh, in the Mishnah, which is like ancient Jewish Jewish oral law, uh, in the Mishnah, shepherds were deemed incompetent. And get this, in their religious law, it explicitly stated that if a shepherd fell into a pit, you were not required to help that shepherd out of the pit. The reason that is significant is there were other religious laws at that time that said if a person falls into a pit, you have a moral religious responsibility to help a person out of a pit. But evidently, that didn't apply to shepherds because they were not considered people. I mean, you can start to get the picture here. Shepherds at that time were literally considered subhuman. Not only that, not only were they considered social outcasts, they were also religious outcasts as well. Because of the work that they did, because they frequently touched the the bodies and skin of animals, they were virtually always unclean, which meant shepherds were forbidden from entering the temple courts. They were forbidden from coming to worship. They were forbidden from offering sacrifices for the atonement of their sins. They were forbidden from participating in the religious life of the community. 
And so what all of that boiled down to was shepherds at that time were placed in the same category as prostitutes. Right? That is how they were viewed by the people, the, the lowest of the low, shepherds. And so for folks at that time, good, upstanding, respectable religious people, man, they stayed as far away from shepherds as they could. Those people were dirty. Those people were unclean. Those people, shepherds, they were the problem. Those people were as far from God as you could possibly be in the minds of most at that time. And yet in Luke chapter 2, in our carol for the morning, what do we see? When God announces the good news of the birth of Jesus, who gets included? And not just included, who are the first people to receive this good news? It's not the kings or the queens or the politicians. It's not the religious people. It's not the religious leaders. It's not the rich and the powerful, the well-liked and the influential. It's not those who have it all nailed down and know all the right answers to the questions. No, in the gospel story, when God announces the good news of the birth of Jesus, it goes first to the shepherds, the biggest outcasts, the most marginalized, the least expected. And what I want to suggest this morning and demonstrate from Scripture is that this is not an accident and this is not an isolated incident. God includes and invites the shepherds for a reason. And this becomes a precursor to one of the most consistent themes in all of Scripture. This appears with startling frequency. God consistently includes and calls us to include outsiders, those on the margins of society. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, we see that in the life of Christ. God consistently includes, often in shocking ways. And God calls us to include those who are deemed outsiders, those on the margins of society. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember that at the end of my sermon, I uh, encouraged us or challenged us to read the Gospel of Luke this Advent. Remember I said there are uh, 24 days between December 1st and Christmas Eve, and there are 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And so I said, hey, as a way of spiritually preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus. Read a chapter a day throughout Advent. I don't know how many of you are actually doing that, but I would just say for me, this has been a really meaningful practice. And right at the beginning of this, I read something that was so striking. Uh, the, the, one of the Bibles that I have, there is at the beginning of each book of the Bible, there's a, a short little introduction to the book. Just kind of like highlighting what are some of the major themes in this book. Here is the introduction to the book of Luke in this Bible. This was written by Eugene Peterson. He says, Most of us, most of the time, feel left out misfits. We don't belong. Others seem to be so confident, so sure of themselves, insiders who know the ropes, old hands in a club from which we are excluded. 
One of the ways we have of responding to this is to form our own club or join one that will have us. Here is at least one place where we are in and others are out. The clubs range from informal to formal in gatherings that are variously political, social, cultural, and economic. But the one thing they have in common is the principle of exclusion. Identity or worth is achieved by excluding all but the chosen. The terrible price we pay for keeping all those other people out so we can savor the sweetness of being insiders is a reduction of reality, a shrinkage of life. Nowhere is this price more terrible than when it is paid in the cause of religion. But religion has a long history of doing just that, of reducing the huge mysteries of God to the respectability of club rules, of shrinking the vast human community to a membership. But with God, there are no outsiders. We see this so clearly in Luke's gospel. Luke is a most vigorous champion of the outsider. An outsider himself, he shows how Jesus includes those who typically were treated as outsiders by the religious establishments of the day. And I'm telling you, if you have been reading the gospel of Luke, you have seen this, right? I mean, if you study the life of Jesus, forget study. If you just take a cursory glance at the life of Jesus, you can't come to any conclusion other than that Jesus consistently includes those on the outside, those on the margins of society. Right? I mean, we see it with the shepherds, social and spiritual outcasts invited in to God's kingdom. We see it even in the, the gospel writer Luke himself. Luke is a Gentile. In fact, Luke is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. All the other New Testament authors are Jewish. Luke, the only Gentile New Testament writer, himself an outcast, himself an outsider. Not only is he invited into God's kingdom, he records one of the most significant accounts of the life of Jesus ever written. And we see this all throughout his gospel. So let me just show you a, a few more places where we see outsiders included in, especially in Luke's gospel. So we saw it with the shepherds. We see it with Luke himself. We see it in the way women are lifted up, given a kind of dignity and honor that did not previously exist for women until then. Right? So in the Gospel of Luke, a woman, Elizabeth, helps pave the way for Jesus. A woman, Mary, gives birth to Jesus. A woman, Anna, prophesies about Jesus. That's just the first two chapters, the first eight days of Jesus' life we see that. Of course, this is significant because at that time, women were seen as second-class citizens. Women were bought and sold as property. Women were deemed to be lesser in the eyes of God. In other words, women were outsiders. And in the Gospels, we see for the first time in human history, women begin to be elevated to equal status. Women are healed by Jesus. Women anoint Jesus. Women financially support Jesus. Women pay the bills so that Jesus can serve as a rabbi. Women encouraged to take the posture of a disciple learning at his feet. That was unheard of and forbidden until Jesus. Women become central figures in his parables, often as the hero 
of the story, not just in parables. Women, real life women, are pointed out and identified by Jesus as examples and models of faithfulness. Women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. Women are the first missionaries of the resurrected Christ. Over and over in the Gospels, we see women lifted up in profound and unprecedented ways. One scholar puts it like this. The gospel changes the story about women. Jesus frequently disregarded cultural norms to help the marginalized. And in many cases, that meant doing the unthinkable as a first century Jewish rabbi. He treated women like people, created in the image of God and profoundly loved by default. So again, we see this entire group of people who were viewed at that time as outsiders, as second class, as lesser than. And what does Jesus do? Jesus invites in. He includes. He lifts them up as equal participants in the kingdom of God. Why? Because God consistently includes and calls us to include those on the margins. We see the same thing when it comes to ethnic and racial minorities. If you read the Gospels, again, this is, not, this is not Josh speaking. This is reading the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, you will find that Jesus goes out of his way to identify people who are being mistreated or experiencing prejudice because of their ethnicity or race. And what does Jesus do? He welcomes them. He includes them in the story. He invites them to participate in the kingdom of God. Why? Because God consistently includes and calls us to include those on the margins. I'll give you two more examples. Uh, we see the same thing uh, with those who are poor. This is just one of the clearest examples, one of the clearest themes in the Gospel of Luke is God's heart for the poor. I'll just put this out there. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of these in a lot of detail, but I would just put this out there. Read the Gospel of Luke and tell me what God's heart is for the poor. Based on what you read in the Gospel of Luke, what is God's heart for those who are poor? Okay? And, and the challenge is don't view that through the lens of capitalism or trickle-down economics not through the lens of government program or social policy, not through the lens of merit or who deserves what, through the lens of Jesus. I mean, we're Christians, right? Through the lens of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, what is God's heart for the poor? I'll give you a hint. Okay? And that's not an exhaustive list. This theme is not subtle. Consistently, over and over, we see Jesus talking about issues of poverty, wealth, and God's heart for the poor. Why? Well, because those who were poor were ostracized, outsiders, on the margins, vulnerable and at risk, and God consistently includes and calls us to include those on the margins. That included those who were poor back then, and it includes those who are poor today. Last one here. We see the same thing when it comes to sinners. Uh, Jesus regularly associated with, gathered around, and welcomed sinners. It's one of the things that got him in the most trouble with the religious leaders is that he was so welcoming of sinners. Right? 
Those who were far from God, those who were unrighteous, those who were immoral, Jesus makes a point to fellowship with them, to break bread with them, to dine with them, to be in relationship with them because he wanted them to know that even they were invited in to this new thing God was doing. There is no sin so great that it disqualifies from God's grace. And we could keep going with this survey. This is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Jesus has his birth announced to the shepherds, the lowest of the low. And that becomes a precursor to one of the most consistent themes in the entire Bible. God inviting and including outsiders. Now, what I love about the shepherds' response in Luke 2 is that they then immediately go and they find Christ. It says they leave their flocks and they go to Bethlehem. That's what we find in verses 4 and 5 of our carol, God rest you merry gentlemen as well. They go and they find. It's one thing for the invitation to go out, but then the recipients of that invitation, the recipients of the good news, need to respond in some way. That's what we see in the shepherds. And I think that would be an appropriate next step for some of us here this morning as well. See, the, the reality is there are outsiders, right, in any given society. There are those who have been ostracized, those on the margins. And, and we have a faith obligation to care for those people the same way that Jesus does. And yet there is also a sense in which all of us have been outsiders as well. Right, scripture teaches that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us miss the mark in one way or another. One of the first Christian writers said that, that we were all living as enemies of God. In other words, we were outsiders, every single one of us, to the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus comes. As the carol puts it, to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. And gang, the whole point of the shepherds being included is so that we would know that that invitation, that good news extends to every single person. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, the invitation of Jesus, the invitation of Christmas is for you. It doesn't matter your past, your struggles, your mistakes doesn't matter your doubts, your brokenness, your confusion. doesn't matter your marital status, your immigration status, your social status. The invitation is for you to save us all from Satan's power. God consistently includes those on the outside, including me and including you. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, all right, I hear you say that. God includes everyone, no exceptions. That sounds nice. That sounds like the type of thing you're supposed to say in a sermon. But Josh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know the ways that I've messed up. You don't know the dark places in my heart. You don't know the things that are in my past. You don't know 
my struggles, my doubts, my lack of faith. You, you don't know. And you're right. I don't know that. But what I do know is that when Jesus comes at Christmas, he does not come for some select group of religious elite who have it all together. He comes for everyone, including and especially those who are outsiders and those who have been deemed unworthy. And so listen, if you are here in the room this morning, if you're watching online at this point, and you have ever in your life felt, if you have been made to feel, or if you have had someone say to you, or if you have ever told yourself, that you are unworthy, that because of some issue in your life, whatever it might be, that God wouldn't want someone like you, that God wouldn't invite or include someone like you. I just want to say as gently and as forcefully as I can, that is not true. The good news of Christmas is that God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's salvation, God's invitation is available to everyone, no exceptions. And so I, I want to end this morning uh, with a kind of invitation. That's, that's our theme this morning is invitation. We see that God's invitation is available to even the unlikeliest of people, including the shepherds. And we see that there, those shepherds don't just receive the good news, they also respond to it. And so I think that's our invitation as well, to receive and also to respond. I realize many of you would uh, probably already consider yourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. I also know, though, in a, in a room this size and with the blessing of technology, there may be some listening right now who, who may not. You know, maybe, maybe you don't know exactly what you believe. Maybe you're skeptical of organized religion. Maybe at one point in your life, you were really on fire and, and passionate about your faith. And over the years, you've kind of just, just fallen away. Wherever you might be at this morning, let, let me just say, if you have not ever or if you've not recently committed yourself to following Jesus in your daily life, I can't think of a better thing for you to do this Christmas than that. So it, here's how we'll end. We're not going to do like an altar call. I'm not going to have everybody come forward. Um, I won't even make you close your eyes and raise your hand. But I would just say this. If you have any sense like God has been speaking to you? If you have this sense like, I don't know that I've ever really received the good news of Jesus. Or, yeah, I committed my life to Christ years ago, but it's not been real in my life in a long time. If you have that sense like God might be speaking to you, I would just encourage you to take that seriously. Pay attention to what the Spirit of God may be doing in your life and saying to you, even in this moment. And so if that's you and you would want to, to talk with someone or pray with someone more about that, we, we would love to do that with you. Whether it's after the service today, uh, sometime this week, anytime really. If you want to talk with someone or pray with someone about what following Jesus in daily life looks like, we would 
love to explore that with you. So consider that a standing invitation. Friends, these are the high spiritual stakes of Christmas. So may we receive the good news. May we respond to the invitation. May we find and may we follow Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we trust you. And especially today, God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that your invitation is for everyone, including people like us. We thank you that, that through Christ, we can have a relationship with you. And God, we, we pray that you would help us to be like Jesus. Help us to, uh, to recognize, help us to invite, help us to welcome in those on the margins of society. God, give us the courage, give us the, the compassion, give us the faith, not just to receive Jesus, not just to celebrate Jesus, but to, to actually live like Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who fulfills every longing of our hearts, and the one who is enough. And together, everybody said, amen. If you like what you heard, you can hear more of our sermons on our website at franconiamennonite.org. There you can find the latest sermons and events that we are having at the church for the community. As always, you are more than welcome to stop on by in person, uh, take a visit to the church. Our services are every Sunday at 1015. If you want to call beforehand and speak to one of the pastors, we would love to talk with you. It is our prayer that what was offered here today is a blessing to you as you go about your walk with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Blessings.